Welcome to the Reclaim app, where we're creating safe spaces of connection with God, each other, and ourselves. Welcome back, friends. We're so grateful you could be with us. Just as a little reintroduction, I'm Pastor Carrie, and with me is my wonderful co-podcaster and counseling therapist, Liz Kale. Hello. And today, we're going to continue looking at the difficult and often uncomfortable space of loneliness. Last week, Liz and I shared how loneliness has connected to each of our stories. And if you haven't had a chance, we encourage you to go back and listen to episode one at some point, as these two weeks are meant to complement one another as part of our Advent series. We've intentionally chosen to talk about these particular topics over the four weeks leading up to Christmas, as this season is not only marked by waiting and anticipation for the celebration of Christmas, for many, this time of year can also be a time when loneliness, grief, and a variety of other painful emotions emerge and are experienced. Mm -hmm. Although certainly this content applies throughout the year, So if it's not Advent, it's okay. We're glad you're listening. Last week, Liz closed our time together with a beautiful quote by Tillich, where he named the two sides of loneliness, the pain of being alone and the glory of solitude. In this episode, we also want to consider what the other side of loneliness looks like, the glory of solitude and how we can begin a journey toward these quiet spaces with God, with each other, and with ourselves. And at the end of today's podcast, we're going to invite you into some time of solitude with us, a time to prayerfully experience and feel the glory together in community. Liz, this may sound strange, but I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Although we are talking about loneliness, which can be very painful, and is very painful, There's another side, isn't there? Oh, for sure. You are a bit of a weirdo for thinking this is a fabulous, like, (laughs) so excited to talk about loneliness. But actually, I am looking forward to it. And going deeper into what we started with in episode one, including what led us to the place where we were like, okay, loneliness, I see you. I don't particularly love you right now, but I'm sort of ready to face you. Because maybe you're not meant to fully suck. Maybe you're actually meant to be a catalyst to reveal something good and something beautiful that I've been distancing myself from. Before we get into all that, I just want to offer some gentle thoughts to our listeners. My heart in this podcast adventure with Carrie is for us to know that while we in our professional capacities include both pastor and counseling therapist, it's important that we mention this podcast is not intended to be a replacement for your own work in counseling therapy spiritual direction, or pastoral counseling. It's intended to be a resource and supplemental to the deeper work you are doing with God or a professional listener or in your own community. Whenever Carrie and I reference resources like books or websites, we'll make sure we have those listed in the episode description to make them easier for you to access. Our hearts are for this to be one space to practice slowing down, listening, and paying attention to your story as it connects with God, self and others to the various topics we're going to cover. So with that little disclaimer shared, I'd love to move further into the world of loneliness, starting with you, Carrie. 
So as we said, because loneliness is not something most of us want to experience, we can often fill our lives with distractions uh, to ignore the pain we're feeling. In episode one, you described yourself as a helper or caregiver in both your personal and professional life. So within these roles, you expressed that there were costs to you ignoring your own needs and longings. And this was noticed by you feeling even more lonely. So for our listeners to understand what you mean, what were some of those costs? Oh, Liz, that's a good question or questions. The joys of doing a podcast with a counseling Mm -hmm. therapist. (laughs) You know it. (laughs) Can't get away with anything. Uh, As I did share last time, being a caregiver has always been, in large part, who God has created me to be. And for the most part, it's a blessing to me and those God calls me to serve. However, as a wise counselor once told me, sometimes the good things we were made to do get distorted. As you know, I'm someone who feels deeply. Mm -hmm, And living in a world where there is an overabundance of need, You don't have to look too far to see people who need care, encouragement, love, and support. And as a helper, I've always found it very challenging to say no to those in need. I've also found it very challenging to set boundaries and see my own needs to be just as valuable as those I've been called to care for. So, for most of my adult life, pretty much up until two and a half years ago, so we'll just say a little over Mm -hmm. 20 years, Liz. (laughs) We'll just say. Yeah. The wants and needs of others have been my top priority, and my needs have taken a back seat, and I used to just squeeze them in when and if there was time. I remember a night when I was doing my master's degree, and my husband came into the office where I used to study, and I was fast asleep, sitting up at my computer while my professor was teaching an (laughs) online session. (laughs) And it wasn't the professor that was putting me to sleep. It was the fact that after everyone else's work, school, and extracurricular activities were finished, then it was my time. Then I could fit my study time in after everyone else was taken care of. And for me, studying at 10 o'clock at night is maybe not the best time for learning or listening to a professor teach. No, that's pretty fair. (laughs) And over time, this way of life, Liz, it revealed my anxiety which would come up in the form of negative thoughts about myself, often telling myself I wasn't enough, I wasn't doing enough. And as a caregiver, I also started to over-worry that the well-being of those I was caring for depended solely on me. And more and more, my self-worth came from doing. So I kept myself busier and busier, which actually kept the anxiety at bay. The anxiety ended up manifesting itself into what now, what I now know as perfectionism. Up until a few years ago, I didn't have the language to name what was happening. And I think that's a really important coping tool, so to speak, language, to be able to put language around our emotions, our experiences, what we're feeling, how we're reacting. And once again, Liz, it was Brene Brown Mm -hmm. who helped give me the language around how my anxiety was manifesting itself. Of course, Liz is quietly laughing over here. You love her. (laughs) Because... No shame. (laughs) I know, I do. Because once again, I'm going to share a Brene Brown quote. 
Last week, Liz shared that she has a wall of loneliness quotes. Well, I have a wall of Brene Brown quotes. And I promise I probably won't share one every podcast, but we'll see. Anyways, in her book, Atlas of the Heart, Brene writes, Perfectionism is not self-improvement. Perfectionism is at its core about trying to earn approval and acceptance. Somewhere along the way, we adopt this dangerous and debilitating belief system. I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. Understanding the difference between healthy striving and perfectionism is critical to laying down the shield and picking up your life. Research shows that perfectionism hampers success. In fact, it often sets you up on the path to depression, anxiety, addiction, and life paralysis. Life paralysis refers to all of the opportunities we miss because we're too afraid to put anything out there in the world that could be imperfect. It's also all the dreams that we don't follow because of our deep fear of failing, making mistakes, and disappointing others. It's terrifying to risk when you're a perfectionist. Your self-worth is on the line. Mm, Those words just spoke so deeply, cut to my core. And needless to say, this way of life has had its costs. It has not only taken its toll mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, but also physically. Although I honestly learned to function with my anxiety, Liz, and would have kept going this way until, as you know, in July of 2020, when for me, everything stopped. This was the month my doctor told me and my husband that I had stage 2 breast cancer, and as you can imagine, this sent my anxiety to its climax, Mm -hmm. and I could no longer ignore my own needs. In the end, Liz, it's really these costs that have led me to find the glory of solitude. So, Carrie, one major cost for you, breast cancer. Mm. That is no small thing. Mm. Can we just say that out loud and acknowledge that? And I was also thinking that how often sometimes we can listen to one another's stories is like hearing them in like a very linear pointed form. Mm. If I was reading your story in that form, it'd be easy to read it as, so Carrie was busy in her personal and professional life. It caught up with her. There was a cost to her physical health, cancer announcement, and then boom, she was led to find the glory of solitude. (laughs) Roll credits. So, but as I've had the gift of knowing you and sitting with you not long after learning About this cancer news, I know that your movement towards solitude was not that cut and dry. So I'd love to hear more about how this particular cost led you to no longer distancing yourself from recognizing that you too, Carrie, you also have needs and longings, which also need space to be expressed. Hmm. Liz, it's been a journey, certainly not cut and dry. And it's still a journey that Mm -hmm. I'm on. It's a lifelong journey, certainly. For me, this really came up as I was going through surgeries and treatments. It became very apparent that I was not going back to the life I once knew. At least not if I wanted a fighting chance at long-term survival. Doctor appointment after doctor appointment, the same message came through loud and clear. 
Carrie, you need to take care of yourself and you need to reduce the amount of stress in your life. Honestly, after a while, this used to make me so mad. I wanted to scream at the doctors because all of our lives are busy Mm. and full of people who need our care, people we deeply love, and we all have stress. I just remember saying to my husband, what do they mean? Live a life without stress? It just seemed so incomprehensible to me at the time. Yet I couldn't ignore it. And eventually, along with my physical needs, I started to take care of my whole self and was intentional about seeking help for my anxiety and still continue to meet with my counselor alongside my spiritual director on a regular basis. Liz, we're not meant to do this alone. Mm -hmm. And I certainly felt like I couldn't do it alone. And I'm grateful to my counselor and spiritual director for being with me on this journey. What's interesting through this process is that in the quieter spaces, I've come to recognize that I often get more done when I'm Mm -hmm. simply being, loosening my grip and actually living life in these moments, rather than always looking ahead to what's next or just going through the motions or simply surviving it. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're talking about your doctors, all I could think about is like when people tell people to calm down, just like <laughs> it does not help. Just stop, stop stressing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'm hearing you say is that leading from this place of survival mode could no longer work for you following the announcement of cancer because your body was literally crying out. Mm. It was in survival mode. So I can imagine for you, Carrie, that this could further deepen your experience of loneliness because you couldn't hide that need for help anymore. Mm -hmm. It's easier to hide the inner stuff when how we're living life isn't necessarily wrong, but something within us, and in your case, it was through your body, something is crying out to be cared for. So how was that process for you? Hmm. You know... What's been most surprising to me is that in the quiet, quiet spaces, I've actually felt very deep moments of connection and less alone. Not just in the quiet spaces themselves, but because of those quiet times in my everyday life and interactions. This newfound stillness, the glory of solitude, has begun to take shape for me in a variety of ways, um, most intentionally through what I like to call practices of presence. Mm. So that's times of prayer and meditation, which is being in stillness with God. The practice of yoga, which has been a great therapy for my anxiety as well as my physical journey toward healing. And through safe spaces of connection, both in person and online, where I'm learning to be me exactly as it is, in this moment. And well, now we're making a life of it. <laughs> My yeah. family and I sharing this newfound stillness with others through Reclaim. And so if anyone is looking to engage in practices of presence or just simply learn more about them, um, we have a variety of options available at YouTube at reclaim-app.com. And we'll be sure to put that link below so you can check it out. Love the plug-in. Yes, got to do it. (laughs) Now, going back to your question and looking specifically at belonging. As humans, belonging is part of our makeup and necessary for our flourishing and overall well-being. We are relational creatures, created to be in relationship, created by a relational God. 
yet it can be so difficult and experienced so differently for each of us. Liz, I often wonder how many of us really live in spaces that we feel a true sense of belonging. Because belonging involves us being who we are exactly as it is in any given moment without having to do anything. Is it just me or is that really hard a lot of the time? It's just you. Yeah. So easy, Carrie. (laughs) As I shared earlier, as my value and self-worth became more and more dependent on meeting the needs of others and what I did, so too did my sense of belonging. They were deeply intertwined. So my belonging started to be shaped by what I could offer and bring to a person, Mm -hmm. group of people or community. Sometimes, Liz, this was reciprocated in beautiful ways through very healthy relationships. But when it wasn't, it was very lonely and could even make me feel invisible at times. When my health crisis forced me to stop and reassess my life, cancer has a way of doing that. It not only gave me a chance to catch my breath literally, it also gave me a chance to experience love and belonging apart from doing anything. So Liz, I'm really looking forward to sharing in an experience of solitude with you and our listeners in just a little bit. Oh, this is so good, Carrie. So for myself, as someone who used to be a paid pastor and is now in this new adventure as a counseling therapist, your story just resonates so much with me. I really appreciate you naming that you are a helper. You're someone who sincerely does want to shepherd, support, and love others. But you do make this in distinction between being a helper and then finding your identity and what people need from you or even say about you. It's like saying, I am only worthy when I am needed versus I know I am loved and accepted by God. From this place of knowing who I am, I can now love others. Hmm. It's interesting that solitude is uh, such a major catalyst, which led you to this realization in your relationship with God, yourself, and consequently others. It's also amazing what happens in our stories when we are just sometimes forced to stop because of a crisis. Hmm. So these crises can either disconnect us from ourselves and others, or they can actually be the very means which lead us to find connection in ways we haven't really known before. Uh, So well said, Liz. And I love that we've already been able to name and point to the places in both of our stories where there is connection. Mm -hmm. We're not alone. We really are not alone. Liz, as you reflect on your own journey into solitude, maybe it would be helpful for our listeners to hear some of the things you were noticing in your story. Maybe there's patterns or themes, maybe even warning bells. Yeah, I and as I shared in episode one, I had this all too familiar journey with fear, which began when I was a kid and had a very hard time being alone when I was young. Hmm. So this discomfort often show up in like really anxious symptoms. So you can actually listen to that fun story in episode one, along with Carrie's journey, of course. And as I mentioned, and like you, Carrie, I managed by keeping busy. But over time and as I got older, I began to be okay with being alone. I actually learned to like my own company. While I was still so busy and would even go through this long battle with burnout in my early 30s, I was noticing I wasn't like running away as much. I'd become this avid journaler, which actually stemmed from a love of writing when I was a kid. I really enjoy going for solitary runs and walks. And to this, to this day, I still will just jump in my car and just drive. I actually call those my uh, Jesus date drives. <laughs> so even though I had started to, you know, get a little bit more comfortable in my skin, just partly just through the journey of growing up. 
It was in the year before resigning from youth ministry after nine years that I sensed that there was something deeply missing from my life. Like you, Carrie, I absolutely loved being a pastor. I loved people's questions and their honesty when they would go through times of doubt, helping youth discover spiritual gifts, and to help them elevate their voice in the body of Christ was one of my favorite parts of that time in my life. It was a privilege to be invited into their stories and is actually a a major reason I'm in counseling therapy today. As a counseling therapist. (laughs) Just want to clarify that. (laughs) In preparation for today's episode, I was reading my journal entries from 2015 to 2016, which was the year before I resigned. And I really started to pick up on some patterns. Um, And my intention in sharing these patterns with our listeners is for each of us to notice those areas in our daily lives where we might be feeling kind of like a spirit of restless or a sense of feeling unsettled or where we're noticing that we're starting to maybe push down things like our longings. And so this is what I personally began to notice. I mentioned being sick a lot in my journals. I had never experienced migraines before, and these began in 2013 and actually increased heavily that last year, sometimes lasting for two weeks at a time. But oddly enough, I'd write, I actually like when I get sick. I don't have to go to work. Like I needed this an actual excuse to stop. Uh, and when I was sick, I would write things like, it's actually really nice not to feel rushed right now. And this theme of desiring a more leisurely pace, drinking coffee, reading a book, slowing down, started to, started to show itself in my journals. I was also asking a lot of questions of myself, of God, of relationships. Questions about what I was doing with my life and doubts. Questioning my purpose and my value. And thoughts on what I believed about the spiritual gift of pastor versus what I was experiencing in reality as a pastor. And this would show up in like incongruencies, I noticed. Like the times I would really try to open up about my own questions and doubts and even my sins and being told, you can't wrestle with that, Liz. You're a pastor. So that just increased this feeling of shame and like I had to be the strong one, even though so much within me was crying out to be seen and heard too. And mixed with all this, Carrie, was a consistent barrage of comments about being a single woman in ministry. So I would often hear comments like, well, maybe you intimidate men, Liz. Women pastors can make men feel insecure about their spiritual leadership. And that sometimes I would hear, well, do you have like commitment issues? So on top of not being allowed to be, you know, human, I was also being told that I was like too much and not enough because of my marital status. While this might be fodder for another podcast episode, uh, just a little teaser for you is this one of my favorite set of comments actually came after ministry the day before the pandemic was declared when someone asked me if I was interested in being set up at a funeral with a man who was already in a relationship with another woman. You know, Liz, it might not work out. I think you'd be perfect for him. So Liz displays darty eyes and makes a quick exit. (laughs) Get me out of here. Oh my goodness, Liz. My mouth like literally dropped open. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I don't even have words to put around it. Carrie, welcome to my world. Wow. (laughs) It's fun. It actually can be really funny. You have to know yourself really well to realize it's funny. Yeah. I, oh, like I said, I'm at a loss for words. But what I do hear is that as you were trying to authentically connect and Mm -hmm. enter into community, 
not just as a pastor or leader, but as Liz, the human being, it feels to me as the listener that you were being pushed away or trying to be fixed yeah. so that you would fit in. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That's, that's actually exactly what it felt like. And uh, we're going to keep some of that for another episode. And so we're <laughs> just going to keep going on. It's actually one of my favorite conversations with people. But one last pattern I noticed in the year before my resignation in my journal entries was that these posts were so filled with fear, which wasn't unusual considering what I shared with with everyone in the first episode. Fear was this all-too-familiar bedfellow. At this point in my life, I hadn't learned to sit still and just listen well, but I had begun to express my emotions. Fear is about not having a job lined up. Fear is about getting my calling wrong, which was one of the hardest journeys I went through during that year. The anxiety increased so much, I remember texting my lead pastor very early one Sunday morning when I was slotted to lead the pastoral prayer and the announcements for the services. I was so anxious and breathing so heavily in my bed that I actually texted him to step in for me, which he graciously did. I just remember not knowing what I was supposed to do with all these questions and doubts. I actually felt like I was starting to go crazy, and I remember feeling so alone in it and so afraid. And underneath it, I just remember feeling like such a failure. Like, who fails at being a pastor? Fear, as we know, can be such a distorter of the truth. But reading these entries six and a half years later, I also noticed this underlying and connecting theme throughout my younger self's prayers and wrestles. And that was a deep craving for more in her relationship with Jesus. On March 7th, 2016, I wrote these words. I think depending on my own strength has consistently been my downfall in life. It's just simply so easy to do. Get out of bed, do what I think is right, mosey on, and crash at the end of the day from exhaustion. I end up going to sleep last night anxious and wrestled with sleep and woke up this morning not refreshed at all. And it's my day off. I feel this push to work all the time. As I was attempting to sleep, though, I had this incredible awakening that how I live is so small compared to what my life could be. It was when I read a former pastor and spiritual director, Ruth Haley Barton's book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, I think I was starting to find words to this word awakening and recognize the root of my loneliness. She writes, several years ago, during an unusually intense season of ministry, I made a comment to a friend that surprised us both. Before I could censor my thoughts, I heard myself saying, I'm tired of helping other people enjoy God. I just want to enjoy God for myself. This was both surprising and alarming because what I was really saying was that my leadership, which usually flows from what is going on in my own soul, was at that moment disconnected from the reality of God in my own life. I realized that there was something I wanted to say to God but had been so busy and too out of touch with my own soul to say. What I wanted to say to God was, I miss you. And Carrie, I just remember saying to myself after I read this in tears, that's it. That's what I'm lonely for. I'm missing Jesus. I am lonely for Jesus. This longing for more of Jesus in my life is actually, and ironically, what led me to resign from a job which was intended to be all about shepherding people in the Jesus way. And it would take months and many sessions in spiritual direction, but I eventually and slowly learned to be content with stillness and quiet, being alone with God. At this point, I had absolutely no job, no income coming in, 
Very few people texted or called me for coffee, and it started to feel like I wasn't really needed much anymore, which was, which was hard. A couple of people from the church reached out, but most didn't and just, you know, they moved on. And over time, that became okay. I started to reconnect with friends I hadn't prioritized much. I stared more, <laughs> and I cried a lot. Once in literal fetal position, pouring out years of pain and anguish I had left unattended for such a long time, including the death of my mom, uh, which actually happened during a very busy season of ministry. And I recognized I hadn't really grieved her well five years later. Because I wasn't making money at the time, because I wasn't needed very much, or so it seemed, I had a lot of space to be with Jesus. Who knew that the poorest year of my life unemployed for 12 months, would become the base for the richest years of my life. And Carrie, if I could, I'd do it all over again to have what I have now with Jesus. I actually consider that year 2016 to be my reconversion with Jesus. I was five when I became a Christian, but I was 34 when I fell in love with Jesus. Oh, Liz, that is so beautiful. And your story helps to illuminate the two sides of loneliness and how the pain has brought you to the other side of solitude. Yeah. Carrie, it has been good sitting with you today. And I would actually love us to move to help create space for our listeners to practice this, not just today, but on their own, whenever mm. they're able to. Solitude can be this practice or discipline to help us learn to slow down and listen. So when we choose to give ourselves permission to stop uh, or practice the pause, as some people say, we can notice that the unique pain we feel when we experience loneliness is communicating something. And it's often something universally human, normal, and very beautiful. When we choose to allow ourselves to notice how lonely is showing up in our stories, we can begin to go deeper as lonely is actually revealing our deepest longings. Most noticeably, the pain often can reveal our desire for meaningful connection. As your uh, Brenny Brown says, <laughs> And while experiencing loneliness is not fun, it speaks to our humanity and God's intention in creating us for communion. So the spiritual practice of solitude is being alone with God. It's a spiritual practice that can be one of the most difficult to live out, primarily because our North American culture prioritizes the frenetic, constantly plugged in life, which has become normalized and often idolized, and is actually quite incongruent with the purpose of solitude. Solitude's invitation is to be still, and it actually comes from the Hebrew word rafa, which means to release one's grip, to let go, to be weak. It's that moment-by-moment -moment invitation to give up control. How does that uh, sound to you, Carrie? Very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And you know what, to help, you know something that I did after reading my journal entries in preparation for today's episode? I actually turned my light off. I had a little cry of gratitude, and I thanked my 2016-year-old self for releasing her grip and for being courageous enough to say yes to writing that resignation letter, which was her way of saying no to fear, even though there was no plan B. Speaking life over our younger selves is a gift we can give to our present selves, because where I am today is because she said yes then. So that fear which often held me so tightly as a kid was still being released as an adult, and part of what helps us enter into things we're not so comfortable with, like practicing solitude, is also thanking our younger selves for getting us to where we are today. Entering solitude is intentional choosing to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. 
And the more you disconnect from yourself, the more you distance yourself from what's really going on. You cut yourself off from naming how your needs are not being met. And over time, that experience of loneliness is only going to deepen more. So my heart for each of us is to learn to love our own company. And this is something which needs to be cultivated. Solitude is a practice we will often come back to throughout the podcast. So I'd like to just begin by encouraging us to start with one thing. Choose to stop. Determine to create space for a new way of being. To release your grip. It's so easy easy to judge what we didn't know years ago or maybe what we grew up with. What I often find gets in the way is when we claim these words over our stories like, I just can't do it, or it's just too scary, and then we just leave it there. As you know, I'm all about acknowledging how we feel, Carrie, and whether it's fear or confusion, whatever it is, but if we keep telling ourselves it's scary, we're actually communicating to our bodies to keep running away. And in order to grow in that meaningful connection with others that we all long for, we actually need to choose to have meaningful connection with ourselves. Because if we don't, we're going to keep trying to grasp for crumbs at the table of everyone else, hoping just someone will tell us who we are or validate us. So before we we enter into a specific practice, I want to offer one suggestion of how we can do this and encourage each of us to find our own language to express how we might be experiencing the pain of loneliness. So we can do this through the language of emotions, our bodies, and our thoughts. When I talk about sitting with something, like sit with your pain, which sounds horrendous, uh, this is one way we can begin to do this. We just begin by noticing and naming. And actually through this naming, we create connection with ourselves because we are no longer ignoring ourselves. For example, naming pain emotionally, you can use words like disappointed, grief, heartbroken, which encapsulate like sad emotions, or vulnerable, scared, insecure, which focus more on the fear emotions. We may name the pain of loneliness physically as a sense of being weighed down in my shoulders, or like a tension in my chest or stomach. We can also name pain through thoughts such as, I feel alone, therefore I am alone. I'm a loser, I'm unlovable, no one wants me, I'm invisible. So Carrie and I are going to close our time together with one way to help us be present to our bodies. Solitude is not being fully alone. I want to keep reiterating that. It's being alone with God. It's an invitation to connect with yourself and God. It's important to simply choose it, not to overthink it, and determine to start. It's like when you're training for a marathon, you don't just put on some old runners and push through until you make it to the 42-kilometer Boston Marathon length. That would be the worst thing ever. (laughs) You start to slowly build up, but the more you practice it, the more that muscle is going to just grow until learning to be with no performance, no striving will become as natural as breathing. So the intention of connecting with our bodies is actually learning to be present to ourselves. The very basic definition of mindfulness is being present to what is with no judgment, which beautifully enough cultivates compassion towards ourselves. Hmm. Oh, Liz, thank you so much for bringing this all together for us and helping us understand solitude more Mm. fully. So I'm going to now lead us in what's called a breath prayer, a time of solitude. And a breath prayer is simply an ancient Christian practice that helps us grow in our capacity for solitude. Breathing 
is the most natural and effective way we have to manage our anxiety, stress, fear, and worry. So we're going to give this a try. Mm. Use our breath to come into these present moments and see if we can spend some time in solitude together. Mm. Quieting our minds and our hearts. Prayerfully feeling a sense of presence and connection with ourselves, with God, and with each other. So I invite you, those listening with us today, to start by finding a comfortable seat or a position that allows your body to feel at ease. You can also do this laying down. And when you're ready, close your eyes or just gently soften your gaze. You may want to place your hands either on your knees or in your lap, or you can also bring them and place them on your heart. And as you come in to these quiet moments, simply start to begin noticing your breath. As you inhale and exhale, how is your breath moving in and out of your body? How is it feeling? It can take some time to quiet ourselves and breathe, finding that natural rhythm. So be gentle on yourself and just keep becoming more aware of your breath and its rhythms during our time together now. As you're finding a comfortable breath, consider these words. They come from the Bible's book of Job, chapter 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. On your next inhale, hear these words of assurance. The Spirit of God has made me, and as you exhale, hear these words of assurance. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. We're connecting our breath with these words. As we inhale, the Spirit of God has made me. Exhale, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Inhaling, the Spirit of God has made me. Exhale, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. One more time, maybe the biggest breath of the day so far. Inhaling deeply, the Spirit of God has made me. Exhale, releasing any tension you might be holding on to right now. <sighs> the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Let's just continue breathing now, finding that natural breath in these quiet moments together. In closing, we want to thank you for joining us. May each of us choose to notice and welcome loneliness because your loneliness is speaking to the desires and longings of your soul. If I might close with one of my favorite loneliness scripture passages, we turn to Luke chapter 5. 
At this point, Jesus had called his disciples, was visiting towns, performing miracles. His reputation was beginning to spread. Ministry life was picking up. As the news about him spread more and more, more and more people came to hear him speak and to be healed of their diseases. One of the rhythms Jesus modeled for us is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. May we go and do the same.